All right, last time we were in Luke chapter 10, and so we're just going to continue with that for a little bit. Um, it's going to be a short, short message this morning because we're going to end early to do lunch together because fellowship is very important too, amen? Everybody's like, yeah, shut up. Let's just, let's just eat now. Um, Got to get a little bit of the word in or it's like, you know, I don't know. Um, okay, so Luke 10, um, we did this last week. Anyone, anybody want to give any sort of recap or things they remembered or what was highlighted for them? This is the Lord sending out the 72. Anybody have a comment? Summary? Reminiscence? Nobody remembers. Yeah, we're, we're part of the 72. Yeah, I mean, that's the 72 represents us, uh, everybody else. The, the 12, the leaders had already been sent out, and so now Jesus is sending out everybody else, the rest of the church, to go and do stuff. He sent the, the 12 to the Jews, to areas where he wasn't going to be able to reach himself. He wasn't going to get to those rural areas. Now he's sending the 72 to um, areas he was about to go himself, and they were urban areas and not rural areas. And um, he uh, was sending them to places in between Samaria where they were in Jerusalem. And so it would be like a lot of Gentiles in there as well. So not just Jews, but also Gentiles. So there's a lot of expansion there going on. He's, it's a very different from the sending out of the 12. When you read it, it looks very similar because of the things he says are very similar to when he talks to disciples. Um, but the mission, the mission was very different. Um, and th that's one thing I didn't touch on last week that I did want to mention is this, this aspect of sending them to towns or cities, depending on which translation you have. Um, that's mentioned in verse 1, 8, 10, 11, 12, and 13. He mentions that word town or city. And so they are sent specifically to cities, to towns that Jesus was about to go. Not the rural areas and the outlying areas, but to the towns. And I think that's significant. Throughout the Bible, we see, especially in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, we see God paying particular attention to cities. The bigger they are, it seems like the more attention he pays to them. Now, why is that, do you think? More people. I, 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 think that's, I think it's as simple as that. There's more people. In the next verse, he says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so if the harvest is plentiful everywhere it's going to be more plentiful in a city because there's just more people there, especially in areas like where we live. We're in the Twin Cities. Um, this, the cities, I think, has somewhere between 60 and 65% of the state's population lives right here in the Twin Cities. And so in terms of strategy, in terms of being strategic for reaching out with the gospel, if you're going to send 72 folks, you're going to send them all to the Twin Cities, or most of them. You might send two to some of the other bigger places. And that's not to say that God doesn't care about the rural folks, or the poor, or the farmers, or any of that. Not at all. In, our, um, in Harvest Water Africa, where we're doing our outreach, we're primarily going to the rural areas, and to the poor people in the middle of nowhere, okay? God cares about them very much. But when it comes to strategy, especially here, because there was a time consideration involved, Jesus was about to go to these places on his way to Jerusalem. He, he's seeing the end. He's on his way to Jerusalem, that's it. He's done at Jerusalem. That's where he dies, and he knows that. And so he's got a time issue here. But God is concerned about cities because he's concerned about people because he's concerned about the harvest and cities are where a lot of the people live. And like we, we see that in Jonah, Paul talks, has, Paul Anderson, not 
this Paul. Paul Anderson has talked a lot about Jonah uh, over the last year or so. And at the end of the book, God is arguing with Jonah. And God's like, look, sh- should I not be concerned about this great city? How can I not? Look at this giant city of Nineveh. How can I not be concerned? Look at all these people. And we see that throughout the Bible. God's taking special concern with cities. And at the end of this passage, or right after the passage, um, in verse 13, it starts these woes. Woe to you, all these different little cities. And they're cities. They're not people. Isn't that interesting? God is sending out the 72 to spread the kingdom of God. And Jesus doesn't say, woe to you, each individual who didn't accept me or who didn't receive my, my messengers. He says, woe to you, this city. Woe, this city, this city. He's pointing out specific cities and judging them because they didn't receive the people that Jesus had sent them. He doesn't say because you didn't receive the gospel. <laughs> Interestingly, he says, because you didn't receive the people. And he tells the people he's sending out, if they don't receive you, leave, knock the dust off your feet as a testimony against them and say, you're going to be judged. That's not what we're supposed to do, by the way. This was a specific thing for this time because they were rejecting Jesus himself. But again, he's saying to the city, you rejected these people and not the gospel, which is interesting. It's interesting that it was the people that they were in trouble for rejecting. And it's interesting God cares about cities. He mentions it in six different verses here in this passage. So there's something about the macro sense of evangelism that I think we need to be involved in. We oftentimes talk about personal evangelism because I think it's the most important. People disagree, but I think personal evangelism, sharing your faith with your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors, people you know, works. And I think we all need to be about that. We all need to be about that kind of personal evangelism or micro evangelism, if you want to call it. But I think Jesus is pointing out here, um, and Luke is highlighting this, that God also cares about the big picture stuff. He also cares about the whole harvest. He also cares about cities, towns, big areas of people. And sometimes I think it can be easy for us to focus on, all right, this is what I'm called to do in my little thing and not think about the big picture stuff. Oh, somebody will take care of the Twin Cities. There's something I can do about the Twin Cities, but I can do something about my family. And that's true. You can. But I think the the Lord is saying here that we do need to be mindful of the cities still. We need to be mindful of the nation. We need to be mindful of the big picture stuff. And what do we need to do about it? Well, he says the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, therefore pray. I think we're called to pray for our city. And yes, for our nation and, and our state and, and that sort of thing. But we're called to pray for the city that we're living, the city that we are part of. In Revelation, individuals are judged, but so are cities and nations. And that's how God separates sheep from goats is where you lived. What in the world is that's very un-American and weird. We're super individualistic, right? It has to all be about me. It has nothing to do with what family I came from, what city I came from, or any of that kind of stuff. But that's not what we actually read in the Bible. What we read in the Bible is, what city were you a part of? I was a part of Nineveh when Jonah came. Hey, good job. You guys repented. There was probably a few that didn't, right? But they still get credit for repenting. And it said that that generation would rise up against the generation of Jews during Jesus' day because the people of Nineveh believed at Jonah. And the people of Jerusalem didn't believe in Jesus, who was way better than Jonah, right? And so there's this, this idea of judging cities, praying for cities, and it matters. Our people group matters. Our tribe matters. All throughout the Old Testament, your tribe mattered. Is it your fault that you were only born to Manasseh instead of Levi or Judah or whatever? No, it's not your fault, but it still matters. It still affects your life and your destiny. 
And we, this, this is the take home for me on this, we are part of the Twin Cities greater metropolitan area, okay? Whether we like it or not, ask for it or not, doesn't matter. We are part of this area, and so it's our responsibility to pray for it. It's our responsibility to pray for this city. It's our responsibility to lift it up. And when Paul and I talk about revival, we talk about the calling that we feel to the Twin Cities, not just Lydia House. We don't just believe God is coming to Lydia House and revival is coming here. We believe God is coming to the Twin Cities, and we are called to help revival in that whole area. Now, I believe revival is coming to the whole nation, the whole world. But right now in my life, I don't feel called to the United States. Like, the whole thing. You know, it's big. But I do feel called to the Twin Cities, as opposed to just Roseville or just Lydia House. Does that make sense? And so I think all of us, whether we think about it or not, we're all called to the Twin Cities, and we all need to pray for it. We all need to hold it up before the Lord because there is a sense in which we are going to be held responsible for what happened in our generation in our city. What did you do in your generation where you lived? And some of us think, well, what can I do? What impact can I have? I, 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 I'm just a regular person, right? But prayer is a massive impact. And when we gather together and pray, that has an even bigger impact. One can send a thousand to flight, two can send the legions fleeing. And there's some legions that need to be scattered still in our cities. God's been doing a lot, and he still is. Um, and we're on the verge, I really believe, in the Twin Cities. And I think God wants to cause the Twin Cities to be an example to the whole nation in a lot of things. Um, an example on racial reconciliation, an example on how we're supposed to relate with First Nation peoples, an example of how a legislature is supposed to govern its people well and in a godly way, an example of how the church and people are supposed to interact um, in a way that everyone benefits from. I think there's a lot of things God wants to use us as an example for, and healing, I'm hoping, is one of those things as well, physical healing. Um, so we need to pray for our city. God is very concerned about cities. If we are part of one, which we all are, then I think we need to keep it in prayer a little more. And I'm, I'm hitting that a little hard because I don't think a lot of us do that. I, I didn't really do that until not too long ago, really. I was like, no, I'm focusing on what I'm called to do. This is what I'm called to do. And, and I'm just going to do that. And that's going to be good enough. Um, but that's not really what I see here. What I see here is if you're a part of Jerusalem, you better be praying for Jerusalem because Jesus, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks under her wing and you wouldn't let me do it. He's not talking to the individuals there. He's talking to this city. And so there's a collective aspect that we as Americans just naturally do not get. It's hard for us. We just naturally don't get this kind of collective tribal thing that they got just naturally because that's the way they lived. Um, and so... Maybe ask yourself, all right, maybe, you know, am I praying for my city? Am I praying? Hope, I, I'm sure you're praying for this church and for your family and those kind of things. But am I praying for the city? What does that look like for me? What should I be doing? How should I be praying? There's prayer meetings throughout the cities all the time. We're, we're, we do a lot of prayer meetings. You know, maybe coming to some of those would be a good thing. Um, that's something, something to keep in mind. Anybody have any thoughts on that? This, this was sort of new to me just in preparing this message as I was going through this passage, this whole city thing in six different verses. I'm like, I've never really seen that before. I think that's interesting. Um, so we talked about the harvest being plentiful, the workers being few, Jesus calling all of us and the need to say yes to that, to pray, to pray earnestly with that personal need is what earnestly means, to pray for our city in this case, for the harvest with a personal need, a real personal need. And that if we're not feeling that personal need when we're praying for our church or our neighbors or our city, that we should ask God to give us that. 
because that's something that he does want us to have. He says, pray earnestly for the harvest and that God would send out workers. And I think the more earnestly we pray, the more humbly we say, God, I don't have that earnesty thing. I need more of that. I need more of that passion because sometimes I just think to myself, eh, they probably deserve it, whatever. I don't really care. I'm taking care of me and mine, and that's my job. And I get that, um, but we're called to a higher place than that, right? Um, Abram's nodding at me. I like that. Thank you, bro. Um, <laughs> it's, it is true. We can't, yeah, yeah. So, and, and, you know, sometimes it, I can feel selfish in my own spirituality, even when I'm doing all the right things. It's, but I think God has called us to a higher place. I know he's called this church to a higher place, where even though we're tiny, we have influence way beyond what we should be able to have in places like Africa you know, and in the Twin Cities. And so um, God has called us to a place where we need to lay some stuff down and be willing to, to pray and to lift others up. Um, we ended last week with the go, which Jesus says. He tells us all to go. No matter where we're going, he sent us, right? And he himself is about to come there. Every person we interact with is someone to whom God has sent us, who he himself is about to come to. And we need to think about that in our interactions with people, um, at work, at school, at play, at the Renaissance Festival, whatever it is that you're doing. The people that you are with, talking to, interacting with, is someone that God has sent you to. What does that mean? What, God, what, most of the time, I simply say, okay, God, what, what do you want here? Is there anything you want me to do? Is there anything you want me to say? Bless this person. I just kind of pray for them. I have sort of a litany of things. Bless this person. Bless their family. Bring them closer to you. Open up their eyes to be able to see you more and that sort of thing. And I just sort of pray that for them. <clears throat> Not out loud because I don't want them to run away too fast. Because um, they would probably. Um, and I pray for them. And then I just listen. And maybe there's something specific that the Lord would lead me to do or to say. Um, and this is whether I know the person or not. You know, sometimes you, you come up to someone you know really well and you're like, okay, I want to bless this person. You know, I'm not just talking about like Walmart encounters. That's not primarily what evangelism is about. Going to Walmart and meeting strangers and getting them saved. Like that's not actually primarily what we're about. But if you could talk to your family members and your friends and your coworkers and people who live near your house, like that would be awesome. Because that's like 20 people, right? 30 people, whatever number. That's a huge number of people that you already have a relationship with, you already have influence with in some way. And so if you can intentionally, in your interactions with them, be praying and asking the Lord, what can I do to bless this person, to help them to see your love? That makes a huge difference in their lives. Um, so let's move on to verse 4. Unless anybody else has any comments about that or what we talked about last week. Yeah, Quinn. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Right. The cold weather. Yeah, for sure. I think we all need to be asking ourselves that. Yeah, absolutely. It absolutely does. And that, that's an example of strategic thinking. You know, Jesus sent the people to the cities because that's where the people were. And so the Super Bowl is coming here. That means the eyes of the world are coming here. And so strategically, as the church, we do need to think about how do we respond to that? What do we do? Do we have a ton of people standing up with Jesus save signs and kind of angrily shouting at cameras? You know, I would say that's maybe not the best. You know, that's what others have chosen to do in the past. I I don't think that works too well. Um, But maybe there is something that God would lead us to if we humble ourselves and if we ask and realize that, you know, who are we to even ask that? Well, we're children of God, and God tells his children what he needs to happen. And so I think he wants to do that with us. Mm-hmm. I like that, the sending capacity over the seating capacity. I think that's true. That's very true. I mean, I see us as a mission church. Uh, not just not that we're all like international missionaries here, but I think we all are sent, and most of us come from a background of either either living in some sort of ministry lifestyle or wanting to or wanting to do it now, being a missionary at Astound, where we work Monday through Friday, being a missionary in different people's houses, whatever it is, and I see us as a mission church, and that we are pretty good at sending people out, and hopefully we send each other out every week. Because that's what Jesus is doing to us. Um, let's look at verse 4, for those of you who have your Bibles. And so Jesus sends them out, and he says, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves, because Jesus is really good at giving pep talks. And so he says, you're lambs, and there's a bunch of wolves, and they're going to try to eat you. And they're like, yay. Um, and then he makes the pep talk way better by saying this, take no money, no knapsack, no sandals. What? So you're, we're lambs sent out among wolves. We can't bring any money. We can't bring any stuff. We can't even bring extra shoes. He's not saying go barefoot, I don't think, by the way. Like sandals back then were like a thin piece of leather. So you would bring extra sandals because they wore out like all the time because these people walked on rocks. That's how you got from place to place. And so he's saying don't even bring that. Don't bring your extra shoe leather. Don't bring a knapsack with like extra clothes in it. Just go like literally from this meeting... Leave all your stuff. If you got money, leave it here and leave this meeting and go to some town over there. That's, that's literally what's happening here. This is freaky stuff. Okay? Like, if I did this right now, you'd all just be like, yeah, no. Actually, that's definitely not happening. None of us are going. We might all go to one restaurant and talk about how we're getting rid of you. But, like, we're not going to do that. Um, like, but this is what's happening here. Okay? And I think they're asking themselves, is this happening? Because, like, you expect the 12 to have to do it. And they watch them and then come back, and it was a good report, and things went well, and it was really, really great. And they're like, I sure am glad I'm not James, you know. And then Jesus is like, guess what, everybody else? Your turn. And they're like, what? But I don't, I, I can't, I don't have, I've never 
what? And he's like, yeah, go. And his big pepped up is, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. You can't bring any money or change underwear. Go for it. Yeah. Yes, I will get to there in just a second. I will get to there in just a second. Because that sounds kind of mean. Um, so he's saying, don't bring anything with you. Now, why, why, does he, why is he hitting that so hard? Because he, he mentioned specific things. And in, in Luke, he did it to the disciples when he st- sent the 12 out too. Um, so he's giving them the same instructions. Why do you think he's saying that? I think that's the primary thing. I think that he saw in them a lack of the faith required to do the job. (laughs) And they would all say, yeah, that's why we can't go. We don't have enough faith, among many other things. And Jesus is like, it's okay. I got the perfect recipe for you not having enough faith. I'm going to put you in a position where you've got to increase your faith or else. And this is how God works, folks. When he sees that what he's calling us to do just down the road requires X amount of faith, patience, perseverance, faithfulness, whatever it is. He says, "Mm, they have less than they need. I need to catch them up and get them up to here by the time they get here. Therefore, I'm going to put them in a position right now that requires them to grow in that area. And how do you have to grow? In patience, you have to be in situations that require a lot of patience, really annoying situations. You have a three-year-old in your house, for example, okay? That forces you to grow in patience or go insane. You don't want to do Um, To grow in faith, you need to have lack. That's how you grow in faith. You trust God to provide what it is that you need. And in this case, everything, where they're going to sleep, what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, everything was completely put on. Most of us have never lived in that ever for more than a day. You know, maybe we were on a trip and something weird happened and we lost everything. And for 12 hours, we didn't quite know. You know, that would be the most, right, for most of us. But this was potentially days, weeks. He doesn't say how long it's going to be. I think it's weeks. Trust, complete trust. This is is what's going to have to happen. And that's because God wanted to build their faith. And it works. We actually hear about it later. Luke 22, 35. Jesus said, Uh, He said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag, no knapsack, or no sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. That's in Luke 22. And so we, we learned that this worked. He sent them out with nothing, and they were okay. They never lacked for anything. God provided everything that they needed. And that provision and that having to rely on God increased their faith to the point where they were able to do the job, which was, by the way, heal everybody. He doesn't say pray for people to be healed. He says, just heal them. You like that? I love that. Uh, Pray for everybody to be healed, be super nice, and then leave. No, go heal everybody, and then tell everybody about the kingdom, and then leave. It's crazy. Um, So total total reliance on God. And and then he says, greet no one on the road. And um, there's two two possibilities here, and it could be both at once. One was greetings in the ancient world were, were long affairs. And, and in cultures like this, historically they call it oriental culture, even though we wouldn't think of that as oriental culture, but Middle Eastern culture, um, you had expectations socially 
that if you meet someone, someone you know in particular, you have to stop and say hi. You have to inquire how they're doing. There was a ritual of hugging and kissing and all of this kind of stuff. And then whoever had the closest house had to invite the other one over for dinner and to stay the night and all this kind of stuff. It was a really, really long affair. And that's just how they did life back then. They didn't have TV. And so they were really friendly. Um, because when you don't have a cell phone, you, you talk to other humans, um, I'm told. And so, you know, they're, they're not checking Twitter as they're walking down the street. They're waiting, oh, hey, another human being, because we're in the desert. It's boring here. Another human being. How are you doing? And that takes forever. And so um, people who are under official temple business, Levites, priests, that sort of thing, they were um, exempt from having to do any of that when they were on official business. So if it's like, I'm going over here to do uh, a ceremony and circumcise some kids, um, I don't have to stop and do this hours and hours long ritual with you because I'm on an important assignment and I have to go right there. Everybody else had to. But if you were on an important job from God, from the church, you didn't have to do that. And so part of it might be Jesus saying, I'm giving you this authority. You're on an important church mission job here. And so that could be the emphasis. I think it's really more about time. Because I think it's like, look, people, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I got like a year left. We got a lot of cities to go to. I'm going to send you out, and I'm on my way, and I'm going to come. And you don't have a day to waste on your way to these cities. There's no time to waste. Let's get moving. The harvest is ready now. It's going to rot on the fields. That's what happens. If you don't harvest it, it just rots out there. And so I think, I think this is a sense of urgency, I think is what Jesus is trying to convey here. He's not saying, don't talk to other humans, don't be friendly, don't interact, but actually be a jerk. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying there, there's an importance here to being quick, to doing this. This is strategic. This is important. This is fast. Let's not dilly-dally with this stuff. Because you can imagine them. They're going on their way, and, oh, you know, they spend half a day with these people, half a day with these people. They don't, they don't make it there until a week because Capernaum is a few miles away, and it's going to take a week to get there. Or they could get there in like a day day and a half if they hurried. And Jesus is like, we got work to do. We got to get this stuff done. And so I think that's what it's about. The priestly thing, you know, there might be something to that, but I think it's mostly just the, they didn't have time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. It sounds mean when you read it. I used to read this and be like, what the world is that? Greet no one on the road. That, that seems like the opposite of what you would want. It seems like if you're going out to spread the gospel, you should talk to everyone you see and be super nice to them because that guy on the road might be the one who comes to Christ. Maybe the town you go to throws you out. But that guy on the road accepts it. So to my brain, it doesn't make sense. But I think that's what Jesus is getting at. He's not saying never greet anyone <laughs> when you're on an assignment from God. I think it was probably something like that. Does that work? Still bug you? Okay. No, that verse used to bug me all the time, too. So does that. I'm sending you out a sheep among wolves. Still bugs me. Um, I, by the way, I think one part of that verse is, what, what do you expect sheep, what do you expect wolves to do to sheep? Eat them. Okay? What do you expect wolves to do to sheep? Eat them. And Jesus is sending people into these towns. How do they know, how do the disciples, these two people, how do you know which ones are sheep and which ones are wolves? Well, if their wolves are going to try to eat us, if they're, sheep, if they're not wolves, what are they going to do? not try to eat us, and what else? Feed us. Wolves are going to try to eat you. The good ones, the son of peace, they're going to feed you. And so there's a juxtaposition here, because twice he says, eat whatever they put before you. And so that's part of the way that they were to discern, because he says, go to the 
to the house, peace be on this house. We'll talk about this next time. Um, and it's like, how do you know? How do you know if this person is receptive or not? How do you know if this is the right person that I should be focusing my time and energy on? And one of the main reasons is, are they willing to accept you into their, your, their house and feed you? Because if they are, they're good. If not, they're probably a wolf and you should probably get out of there because they might eat you. Which in this case could have been stoning and stuff like that because, by the way, they were about to do that to Jesus. So that's real stuff. Right. Right. And so if you walk in, you're just, oh, some new guy moved in. That's very different than knocking on someone's house and saying, I've been sent from the Lord. And now, again, to our ears, this sounds insane. <laughs> I've been sent from the Lord, and I'm here to do work. You know, peace be to your house. Can I stay with your family? They were expected in that culture to welcome a stranger in and give them food. But if they're like, yeah, I ain't into that sort of thing, pal. No. Then Jesus is like, don't push it. Go to the next house. But once someone accepts you, you stay there, and that's where you plant. And that allows you to have, staying in someone's house allows you to have interaction that you could never have elsewhere. It also puts these disciples under the other people because they are accepting the gratitude. So it's a humility thing as well. They're accepting the gratitude and the gifts of, of these other people. They're not like, I'm the prophet, listen to me. No, they're coming in very humbly, and they're saying, hey, we don't even have food. If you'd feed us, that'd be sweet. You know, it's very interesting, very interesting. Okay, this is going to be good, and we're going to finish it. Um, in two weeks, but right now we're going to eat food. Pizza's being delivered in like one minute, so <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and say a benediction, and then let's put stuff away, and then we'll meet upstairs and chow down. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you, we, you have sent us all out, and we pray that you would teach us more and more what that means and how we can faithfully follow what it is that you're calling us to do and who it is you're sending us to. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine on you, be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.